thank you so much for joining the Faith Chapel podcast. Wherever you may be joining us from, we hope that you know that you are loved and that this message encourages you throughout your week. The appointed series we started last week with two words. How many of you remember what those words were? Man, somebody was listening last week. I'm impressed. Like, I feel like we're just done. Like, I'll just pray and we just leave. Because that doesn't happen. Like, normally you get to lunch and you forget what I've said. All right. So I'm excited. Appointed and, and anointed. Two words. Appointed and anointed. And everything that we do is worship unto the Lord. Because whatever we do, we're doing heartily as unto God. Because we've been appointed and we've been anointed. But today I want to talk to you. As we continue this appointed series, I want to talk to you about your identity. And as you're following along in the notes and the app, I want, you to, I want you to put these in there. I want you to follow along here and add these to your notes. Because the big idea is we're gonna jump right into, if you don't know your who, you can't find your what. If you don't know your who, you can't find your what. You see, the number one question that people ask whether they do it knowingly or unknowingly is, who am I? They're trying to determine, who, who am I? And if you don't know your who, you cannot find your what. If you don't know who you are, then you're not going to be able to find, your, find what God has created you to do. If you can't find your identity, in other words, then you're not going to be able to find what you've been appointed and anointed to do. There was a man whose name actually means appointed, but before we get there, I want you to understand something at the very beginning here. We're going to go on this mental journey together. So I hope you've had coffee and you've gotten enough sleep. I know it's time change Sunday. I'm sorry. But God believes in you because he gave it to me for this weekend. So it's going to be all right. But as we go on this journey together, I need you to stay with me because I'm about to show you something that's very, very subtle in scripture, but it's powerful. And the truth of it, I believe that you've probably never seen before. But I need to set it up first. So how many of you are going to go on this journey with me? You ready to stay with me and go on this journey? All right. Most of you, that's good. Genesis chapter 1, we go all the way back to the beginning, verse 26. And then God said, let us. That's a whole message in itself. God speaking, it's plural now, like there's the Trinity. But God said, let us make man in our image and in our what? In our likeness. So God made Adam in his own image, his own likeness, and Adam lived in perfect harmony with God, with his environment, and with Eve. And when Adam and Eve sinned and brought sin into the entire world, and they were banished from the Garden of Eden forever. Then they had sons, Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel, Cain is cursed and flees, so in that one moment, they lose both of their sons, their whole family is gone. Cain's Cain's uh, great-great-grandson later on kills him, bringing the curse upon himself, and his name is Lamech. And in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 19, he, we see what, he, what it says about his life. And Lamech married two women. Now, that's a whole message we could get into again. How many of you know that's for another time, though? We can't break that one down. But Lamech married two women. One was named Ada, and the other was named Azelah. And Lamech admits to his wives that he had killed a man, and he's convinced that if Cain is avenged seven times for his sin, that his sin is going to be avenged for 77 times. And then in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 25, Adam lay with his wife again, she gave birth to a son, and named him Seth. You've probably heard all these passages. And God has granted me yet another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. But can we stop and just understand what's going on here for a moment? I want you to understand what's happening here. 
Adam and Eve, it has taken them seven generations, or according to Genesis chapter five, 130 years to go forth and multiply like they were told to do. They lost both sons in 130 years later. And you have to ask yourself, what's going on? I mean, what's happening for 130 years that they took this respite? What's going on that, that everything has stopped in their lives? Are you still with me? See, Adam and Eve were in this perfect place and they had walked with God and then sin changed all of that. You can't even begin to imagine the enormity of that kind of change and that kind of pressure that they felt. As parents, their sin resulted in one of their sons killing their other and the other being banished and they both being banished out of the garden. That is just way too much of a burden to even carry. And according to the Midrash, this ancient rabbinical test, Adam and Eve fell into this profound melancholy state. They began to live in solitude, one from another, far away from paradise. And they no longer were in harmony with each other, with their environment, or with anything around them. They had no aspiration to be fruitful and multiply. They possessed no desire. They become lethargic and silent. They'd lost all hope, and they wanted nothing, especially a child. They're finally challenged to have a child by the wife of their grandson, and then Seth is born. Genesis chapter four, verse 26. And Seth also had a son and named him Enosh. And at that time, listen to this, don't, if you have your Bibles, underline this, highlight it. At that time, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So it takes 130 years for Seth to get on the scene. And then a few years after that, I mean, after he's older, obviously it didn't happen right away. Like the next verse indicates in scripture, he didn't have a child when he was young. All of us, the men began to call upon this. So for over 130 years, scripture is telling us that men did not call upon the name of the Lord. For 130 years, people did not call upon God. From the time that Adam and Eve were banished out of the Garden of Eden, there were not a people that his heart were turned towards God, a people that were praying to God, a people that had a, a desire to please God, a people that had a desire to walk with God. There weren't a people on the planet that wanted to live for and be with God. That was until Seth had Enosh. In Genesis chapter five, verse one through three, it says, and this is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in his likeness. We already know that, in the likeness of God. And he created them, male and female, and he blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. And when Adam lived 130 years, that's where I get this, he had a son in his own likeness. That's very interesting, isn't it? For God created Adam in his own image, in his own likeness, and then Adam had a son in his own image, in his own likeness, and he named him Seth. Again, in your notes, Adam means man or human being. It's starting to bring it all together. You still, we're not lost. Anybody lost? I don't need to, right? We don't need to go backwards. Okay, good. Seth means appointed. And Seth has a son and he names him Enosh, which means man or mankind. Now, if you're still following along, understand this. What was Seth appointed to actually do? Why was he given the name the appointed one? Why was he given that name? Because Seth represents a brand new or a second beginning for all of mankind. See, Adam was chosen to be the first. He was walking with God in the cool of the day and he had this 
he had this complete relationship with God that was untethered. There was nothing between them. There was nothing standing in the way. But then he sinned, and all of that disappeared. And he even went into this complete melancholy state. And I understand, when you've lived with God and you've walked in perfection and you've walked in the cool of the garden and you've walked in paradise and you've been and you've been able to see and hear God and you've walked with him every day and now God seems separate from you and you're no longer in that perfect state, I would be morose and melancholy too. I don't even know, right? Like, let's don't be too hard on it. But for 130 years, they're separate. They feel separated from God and even separated from one another. And then Seth comes on the scene. And they give him the name, the appointed. The appointed. And he's appointed to give mankind a second chance. Adam was made in the image and likeness of God, appointed to walk with God, and was given that name by definition, man. But he blows it, and Cain isn't the answer. And so this newly appointed one arrives on the scene, and his name is Seth. And when he is born, the Bible is very clear that all men began to call upon the name of the Lord. It's interesting. I mean, it's not just a physical life that Seth is appointed to preserve, but it's a spiritual heritage. Mankind is now back on track, worshiping and serving and calling upon the name of the Lord. And God makes Adam in his image. Adam's son is made in his image. Now the relationship between God and man is reestablished. Fellowship is restored. And I believe that this profound event happened because Seth knew his identity. He was given the name appointed by God, by his parents. And he was appointed, made in the image and likeness of his father, who was made in the image and likeness of God. And you have been made in the image and likeness of your creator. And if you don't understand where your beginning begins, if you don't understand where it all starts, if you don't understand where your image, where your identity comes from, you will go astray very quickly. But for 130 plus years, mankind was not walking with God. And Seth comes on the scene and he has a son. He says, here's man again. Here's mankind again. And I'm bringing it all back together. And he's saying, listen, I, we're going to serve God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. And men began to call upon the name of Lord. How does one man make that kind of difference? He knows where his image comes from. He knows where his image comes from. And for some of you, your image is found in, in the fact that you're a professor, you're a teacher, you're a salesman, or a mother, or a father, or a coach, or a pastor, or an athlete, or a musician. And some, it's based upon their, even their human condition. They go, oh, they label themselves as, I'm bipolar, or I'm of a certain race, or I'm educated, or I'm whatever. And can I tell you, if you're finding your identity in those things, then you're not going to be able to find your what. Because that's not who you are. I'm talking about identity. And if you don't know your who, you can't find your. Two people are getting it. Okay, well, we'll keep. No, if you can't find your who, then you won't find your, your why. You won't find it. Because God has created each and every one of us fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made us unique from everyone else on the planet. That is why your thumbprint is different from everybody else's that has ever lived. That's awesome. That is how unique you are. 
You're so unique that there's not another person that's ever been created just like you. And before the foundations of the world, God said, I'm going to know you. I'm going to call you by name. I'm going to establish you. I'm going to give you an identity. And that identity has to come back to the one who created you. It has to come back to Christ. Here's what I believe. That the single greatest revelation that you can get from God is to know who you are in Christ. Identity, listen to me, is about how God sees you. And you need to align yourself with God's word. You need to align yourself with how God sees you. Let me explain it this way. If this is you and this is God and we align ourselves in perfect fellowship with God, like Adam had and like Seth reestablished. And if we're walking with God, this, this is powerful. How many of you know, right? This is when the scripture says that all I need is God, right? That this is all I need. That all the other guys, what everybody else thinks, it doesn't matter because I, I've got God and whatever God says about me, that's all that matters. Like God and I are a majority. That, this is perfect unity right here, right? But the moment I began to slide towards my insecurities, you see what happens? I'm breaking fellowship with God. God didn't move, I didn't. And the enemy knows those insecurities and he begins to play on these insecurities and then they begin to get worse and they begin to make up our identity. Well, I'm always this way. I'm always that way. Well, I'm a redheaded Irishman, so I have a temper. No, you're not. You're a child of the most high God. Bring yourself in alignment with God. That he has given you a spirit of self-control. That's part of the fruit of the spirit. That you're no longer a red-headed Irishman that has to work, that has to walk around living in defeat and being succumb, and succumb to your own uh, emotions and your own fear, anger in your life. You don't have to do that. Come on, somebody. See, when we begin to allow ourselves to get a move away from God because of insurance, when we are defined by I'm a parent. I'm gonna be the best mother I can be, and I hope that's every mom's aspiration. But if your identity is found in being the best mom, then you're moving away from God. And the best thing that you can give your family is that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That you're walking with God, that you're in perfect alignment with God. And then God will give you what the anointing for that appointment to be a parent, and he will give you everything that you need to parent wisely, and he'll give you all the strength that you need so that you'll be able to do everything that you're required to do to raise up that child in the fear of the admonition of the Lord. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. You see what I'm saying here? There's so many different ways that we could plant this, but God doesn't move, but we're the one that allows frustrations, we allow the cares of this world, we allow whatever to move us, and the enemy knows exactly where our weaknesses are, and he knows how to exploit them. And that's why I'm telling you today that you have to stay in fellowship with God. Jesus said, you're not going to be fruitful if you do not stay connected to the vine, and I'm the vine. He's saying this, he's saying, let your image and let everything that you do stay connected right here with me. And don't ever lose fact, don't ever lose the sight that you and I are one. Just as, and that was his prayer, wasn't it? He said, I want them to be one like you and I, Father, are one. I want them to be just like this. And Jesus said, I don't do anything. I don't see my Father do. I don't say anything my Father doesn't tell me to say. That's one. And if we could get our identity rooted in God to where we are just like this, friend, we are un, we will be, we'll have so much power. There'll be nothing that'll be able to defeat us. Come on, somebody. You see, some of you see yourself as rejected, but the word of God says you've been accepted. 
Some of you see yourself in change, but God says you've been set free. Some of you feel like you're an orphan, but God says you've been adopted into the family of God. You're not lost, but you're found. You're not an enemy, but you are a friend. You are not unrighteous. You are the righteousness of God to the world. And once you give your life to Christ, listen, you need to immediately, immediately begin to redefine yourself as God sees you. When I was in Kansas City, there was a lady that actually did have bipolar. She was bipolar, schizophrenic. They found out because she would call her husband and she would say, there's somebody in the house and he was a fireman. He said, I gotta leave. And he would run home. And they, I mean, they did everything. They put alarm system in and video cameras in and doors locks on every window. They did everything they could because they thought somebody was actually out to get them until they found out that there really wasn't anyone at all, that she really had a, a mental condition. She needed help. She went for several, several weeks and months to, to get help and nothing seemed to be working. And then she came to my office one day, she had this big smile on her face and I, and I, I said, what's going on? You, you know, things seem to be better. She says, pastor, here's what I do every morning. I have to force myself to do this. She said, I have 50 to 100 cards that I've written the promises of God about me on, on those cards. And she says, I get up every morning and I force myself, even when I don't want to get out of bed, even when I don't feel it, even when I don't sense it, even when I feel like there's people watching, even when I feel like I'm outside of my own skin. She goes, I take those cards and I begin to repeat the word of God and what it says over my life. And I am bringing my thinking and into alignment with the word of God. And she goes, then I'm able to get out of bed and I'm able to live the rest of that day. She goes, I have to do it every single day. And she goes, I've done it every day for 30 days. She goes, and I've been set free. She goes, no, I'm not delivered from it, but I've been set free. How many know there's a difference? She still was walking with that condition, but she was aligning herself every single day with the word of God. And she was finding her purpose and she was finding her identity in God and what God said about her life. And can I tell you, we all need a new identity check. Because in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, what's it say? You are a new creation. We don't act that way, do we? We give our life to God and then we go out and we keep doing the same stuff and God's going, what are you doing? You're a new creation. You're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We need to receive the new, the spirit of God and be dwell with the spirit of God and walk in the empowerment of the spirit of God so that we can be in alignment with God and know where our identity is. See, your identity isn't what your mom told you all those years growing up. Your identity isn't what your dad told you and spoke over you all those years growing up. Your identity isn't what, the, what your friends say about you. Your identity isn't found in what people tell you on the internet or what they, you know, what they say underneath your posts. That isn't your identity. Your identity is found in Christ. And when you bring yourself into alignment with what God says, I want you to know you are powerful. In your notes, let me just give you some quick things to wrap this up. How many of you got all that? Are we okay? That's a little, you know, more than I like, but... New ID. First one is this. You've been given a new identity. We need to find, this is general. There's, there's specific, but this is general for everybody in the room. Number one is this, is you've been, you're a chosen people. God chose you. You may wake up one morning and go, I don't feel like I've been chosen. You just need to remind yourself, you're a chosen people. That even on your worst day, God's, God lined you up and said, I choose you. I choose you. I want you. 
I want you to be on my team. I want you to be a part of my family. I want to work in your life. I choose you. I've got great things in store for you today. I've got things that I've created before the foundation of the world to do it through you today. You're on my team. I choose you. And you're sitting there going, me? Yes. My identity is found that I have been chosen. One translation says a chosen race. Listen, a chosen race is not about black, white, brown, or any other color. A chosen race is a new people that of all colors and all cultures coming together to represent the church who understand their identity. And our identity and what brings us together is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. Amen. Amen. See, that's where our identity is. It's not in a color or a culture. It's in the fact that we have been chosen. I'm going to get a new word. We've been chosenness by God. That's not even in your dictionary, right? Chosenness, chosen by God. We have been chosen not on the basis of belonging to any group, but, but we have been chosen because of what Jesus has done, and we've accepted that. Our identity is found in the truth that we've been chosen by God, not for any other qualifications that we have, but the fact that just God simply chose us. Who am I? I'm chosen. Look, I don't know why. It was nothing in me of any kind of value. It was nothing that I've done or anything that I could do to even merit it. There were no conditions in my life. It is just God says, I choose you. And because I understand that, there is a joy that I tremble with, but there is also a bowing of accepting it. There's also a faithfulness to the fact that I've been chosen by God for a purpose and I can get up every day and know my identity is in, found in I have been chosen by God. It's like, I don't always feel like being your pastor. I mean, some of you guys are difficult. Come on. Thank you for acknowledging that, whoever said a big amen out there. It can be difficult. I mean, when Jesus called us sheep, you know, that wasn't a compliment. I come from the Midwest, and the sheep are some of the not so smartest people on the, I won't say the other word. They're not the smartest animal on the, on the farm. And sheep bite. And I'm just telling you, when he said that we were sheep that have gone astray, he was saying, look, sheep bite. And if you're going to call, if you're going to be called to be a pastor, guess what? People bite. They do. It's not easy. I don't always enjoy it. But I know I'm called. And I know my identity is found in this, in Christ. And what he's called me to do and the fact that I've been chosen. Are you with me? See, whatever God has chosen you to do and wherever he places you in your kingdom, I hope you wake up every day and say, I'm so glad I get to do this. I'm so grateful that I get to do this. I'm, even in the most difficult times, God has chosen me. That means he's appointed me. That means he's anointed me. That means I have everything that I need. That means I can stand up. That means I can do anything that God calls me to do because I have been chosen by God. Yeah. See, your identity number two is found as the fact that you've been a royal priesthood. You've been chosen by God to be a holy vessel. By the way, he's coming back for a church that's without spot or without wrinkle. We're a holy people, a royal priesthood, a priesthood that he's called unto himself. What does this mean? That means that you have unlimited access to God anytime you need it. Wow. I mean, we've been Christians for a long time, so that doesn't even move us anymore. But can you just stop and think about that for a second? That the creator of heaven and earth, there were thousands of years where 
mankind needed a mediator, a high priest to go in and to make mediation for them and to offer up propitiation of sin. But when Jesus Christ came, the veil was rent in two and he opened up the door and he said, come on in. And for everyone who believes in God, everyone who has faith in God, we can come right into the very throne room of grace and find help in our time of need. Why? Because I'm a royal priesthood. I've been called by God to come before God and I give up my offering and to give up my psalm and to give up all that I am with God. I can go into this presence. I can be filled with his power. I can be filled because I'm a priest unto God. That's my identity. See, the Bible even says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice. This is, this is this idea of the Old Testament, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will is. His good is pleasing his perfect will. You can now see, I think, or you're beginning to see that your identity, the who you are, leads to answering the question, what am I here for? Your identity leads to your destiny. Let me say it again. Your identity leads to your destiny. If you don't know your identity, you'll never fulfill your destiny. There's so many Christians wandering aimlessly around, not filled with the Spirit of God, not filled with the power of God, not filled with a purpose, not filled with knowing what their what is, because they don't know who their identity, they don't know where their identity stems from, and they're not fulfilling their destiny. You were chosen for a purpose to be ministers as priests unto God and to this world. In this passage we've been reading first. Peter chapter two, in verse nine, it says this, why have we been given this priesthood so that you may declare the praises of him who've called you out of darkness into his wonderful light? Come on. What, have I, what am I a priest for? That I could declare the praises of him, that I could say, oh God, you're worthy of all praise, that there's none like you, that God, that you're seated on the throne, that I worship you, that I give you my heart, my soul, my life, and my strength. You can use me however you want. I am yours, oh God, and I trust in you. God, you alone are worthy to be praised. You've called me out of darkness. I know what it used to be like to walk in darkness, but now I walk in the marvelous light of God, and I walk in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and I know God, and I walk with God, and I hear his voice. That's what it means to be a believer and to be a priest unto God. Come on, somebody. You've been in power for the same. It's not just for me. And number three, God's, I better keep moving. God's possession. Your identity is found in being God's possession. Listen to what it says in verse 10. Once you were not a people. What do you mean? We weren't alive? He said, no, no, you were alive just like those 130 plus years where Adam didn't do anything before Seth showed up and Enosh was born. You, yeah, you were a people, but you just weren't alive. But now you're the people of God. He said, when you don't have God, you don't even have an identity. That's what he's saying. You, you weren't even a people. You were living but you weren't even a people. But now, you are the people of God. You are God's very own possession. Can I just make this really simple, this point, so we can maybe move on quicker? Can I just make this really quick? 
Once you make God resident in your life, he should become president of your life. And there's so many people that don't know how to make Jesus not only their savior, but their Lord. You are created and designed. Your identity is, that, is found in the fact that you are God's possession. Think about that. If I really live my life that way, God, you own me. Do with me whatever you please. I might be more like Isaiah that says, here am I, Lord, send me. I might be more like the disciples to be willing to leave their family and friends. I might be more like Abraham that will leave a place to go to a place he knew not of, to a land he knew not of, to a place that he didn't have any idea what was going on. And I always think about that conversation he must have had with his wife and all those people traveling. Pick up all your things. We're leaving. Where are we going? I don't know. When are we going to get there? I don't know. I mean, he had kids, right? You get that. They're in the back seat of the camel. Dad, are we there yet? I don't know. Well, when are we going to get there? I don't know. What are the people going to be like? I don't know. God's going God's to be with us. We're God's possession. 2 Corinthians 6.16 said this way, I will be their God and they will be my people. He's saying my possession. He's saying I will dwell in them and I will walk among them. If you really want God to be active and alive in your life, you need to lay your life down as a living sacrifice and understand you've been made God's possession. Do with me whatever you want, God, for your glory and to build your kingdom. My identity is found in the fact that I am God's possession. Number four, strange word, but it's the word pitied. It said, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. First Peter chapter two, verse 10. You had not received mercy before you knew Christ, but now you've received mercy. The word mercy here in the Greek is actually a verb, and it's the closest thing that we have in the English language. Why I chose it is the word pitied. It's not a bad translation because really that's what's going on. When God shows you, he saw you in your sin and guilt. And instead of walking away, he had pity upon us and he brought us close to himself. We were at one point objects of wrath, the Bible says, but now we've been brought close to God. We're not just objects of his choice because he chose us, but we're actually objects of his mercy. I don't know, I've lived this all week, so maybe I'm just ready to... Shout and I don't know. But can you can you just stop for a minute? I keep saying that in this message, sorry. But I'm just trying to get us an opportunity to think this through. You did nothing to receive the mercy of God. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to warrant, there's nothing you can do to bring it into your life, there's nothing you can do. To, and God said, listen, you need it. You don't even know you need it. I'm going to bring it to you right now. You don't even know how far away you are. You don't even know how much of a sinner you are. You don't even know what I have planned for you. You don't even know. And he took pity on you. And even though you didn't know you needed something, he gave it to you anyway. God decided to show forth his great mercy to you. And even though you did not deserve it, God said, I know you don't understand and I know you don't get it and I know you don't, but I'm coming to you right now and I'm gonna reveal my mercy to you. And you remember that day that it happened to you. That day that something on the inside of you woke up and you said, I am a sinner. 
and I need a savior and I need Jesus into my life. And you said, God, can you help me? And God said, yes, I'm here. And he brings you into his family and he brings you close to himself and he loves you and he pours out the mercy of God upon you and he gives you mercy instead of condemnation. You know what that's like. See, God chose you, he chose me and then drew near to me and knew in his mercy to help me and to save me. My identity fundamentally is this, that I have been shown mercy. So listen, I must show mercy to others. I didn't deserve it. Others in our lives don't always deserve it, but we should give it without asking because I've been given mercy. God pitied me and he said, listen, would you, would you show that to everyone else? Would you show that to everyone else? This is what God looks like. You put yourself on display so others can see. Would you let other people see it? I get my identity first, not from my actions, but from being acted upon by God's mercy. There's not much that I can do that will stand the test of eternity until I have received the mercy of God. And then out of that loving kindness and out of that compassion, it causes me it forces me. It brings me into alignment with why I was created. It helps me to go out into a world and let God be on full display as an ambassador for Christ. Amen. How many of you this morning, you say, Pastor, I just need to be reminded today where I came from. Come on. I just need to be reminded. Can we just give God a... a, a come on. We've been called out of darkness. Uh, come on. Would you... Thanks again for joining us today. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelsd.com or any social media platform at faithchapelsd. See you real soon.